Hello, my name is Corey, and welcome to the RCF Podcast, a place where you can dive deep into what the scriptures say, get caught up on current events, or sit back and listen to topical discussions on life from all ages. Thanks so much for tuning in. Now I'm going to turn it over to RCF's Pastor James. All right. Hey, guys, we are continuing on in our uh, kind of background study in Revelation and the seven churches in chapter 2 and 3. And today we pick back up with the Church of Philadelphia. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. I'm going to go ahead and read that before we take a closer look at the history and, and kind of the background work for this Sunday. And to the angel of the Church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, He who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not. But lie, indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. And to know that I have loved you, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have, and no one may take your crown." He overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, so Philadelphia. No, I'm sure that kind of brings up our beloved city over there in Pennsylvania for the city of brotherly love. But this city's a little older than ours. It's got a few different aspects to it. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today and we'll briefly touch on the the prophetic picture that it had of church history. But first, uh, Philadelphia really kind of came on to the scene in the kingdom of Lydia. And we talked about that with um, Pergamos, as it was the capital of that. But locally and regionally, Sardis actually was in authority over Philadelphia. Philadelphia was probably the youngest of the seven cities, so it's a, it's a little newer. Um, and it was built by Atlas Philadelphus. So you're like, well, maybe you're thinking, ah, I've heard that name Atlas before. We talked about him, King Atlas, uh, as he was the ruler, the last king of the kingdom of Lydia. We talked about him in the church of Pergamos. But when he neared the end of his reign, he reigned from 159 to 138 BC. And of course, you can look up information on him if you want. We, we touched on him with Pergamum. At the end of his reign, he, he handed over Asia Minor. He handed over that kingdom 
to the Romans, which of course gave a great favor of Asia Minor and many of these cities to the Roman Empire. So he built this city, and kind of a surname for him, a, a tag on was Philadelphus, because he actually had a great love for his actual brother. And thus he was kind of that was tagged on to his name because uh, and and for him, it wasn't so much like we think of brotherly love because phileo, which, you know, that root of Philadelphia, the root of one of the three Greek words for love. Oftentimes we think it's just, you know, common man, basic love for one another. Uh, but it had the kind of special emphasis for him of loyalty to his brother. They had such a unique relationship that there are actually actually two coins found um, from that time of Attalus when Philadelphia was being built, and it could you could tell that it was distinctly two different guys, um, both King Attalus and his brother, but they were actually uh, dressed in the same clothing. And just one more little interesting. Side note, whatever you want to do with that information, I guess, is up to you. So as he built this city, he actually imported Macedonian veterans from the war to settle down there because even though Pergamum and Sardis, you know, they had a lot of blessings. Pergamum especially had, you know, real fertile soil, did great with their vineyards. But but as the kingdom of Lydia was, was really established and looking for more fertile ground, other places to um, build and to grow for the empire, it, it built the city of Philadelphia and, of course, named after his surname because he had great love and loyalty for his brother. The city nowadays, Al-Sha'ir, could mean Red City, but it's got Allah there in the beginning, so it may also, as it was taken over by the Turks and dominated by Muslims now, could also mean City of God. Interesting that both uh, Philadelphia and Smyrna, the two cities that didn't have a rebuke for them in the seven letters, are the only two cities that really remain to today. Just an interesting little side note. So Philadelphia, as it really kind of in far inland for many of the cities we've been studying through these seven churches, it's about 60 miles inland from Smyrna, which was kind of right on that port just, um, just along the sea, and only about 20 miles from Sardis, which again ruled over it. And being under the authority of Sardis is, I think, significant. We'll touch on that again at the end prophetically. So as it continued on, until the days of, of Jesus and, and on in through the church as it would become this interesting city, it, it, it would take on this flavor of kind of this missionary city. And as the Greek culture expanded, as, as the Roman Empire, not only the Greek Empire, but, but on through the Roman Empire, they had a passion to unite the world, not only by road systems, but also by language and culture. And they did it much through Greek. And Philadelphia, as it was inland, it was still a real gateway to the plateaus of Asia Minor and on into the east, on up into Asia proper, I guess, if you will, um, exposing my uneducated roots. I don't know if that's actually true. 
as far as being called proper anyways, but it did give you the gateway into Asia. And, and so as they wanted to connect the world and by language, culture, road, and trade, Philadelphia was a key city, and it became like a, an evangelistic city. For not for the church just yet, but in its early days was an evangelistic city for the Roman, Roman and Greek culture, uniting the world. And, and that would carry over into its flavor, into their passion for what they knew how to do from their city's history and tradition. And it's interesting how God uses a culture or the way that perhaps you've grown up or you know, we think of the attributes of so many Americans. If you don't think you have it, try going to another country. I remember walking down the street in England, just wearing clothes. I didn't think it was particularly American, but they had yelled at us um, some interesting insults before they even saw our face or anything. They just saw us walking down the street. They were driving by in a car, and they knew we were Americans. So, I mean, <laughs> it's like thinking you don't have an accent. But there are... Um, there are things about us and our culture, whatever country or city or family or nationality you may be, and I think it's just God's interesting good pleasure to take those and redeem them for his kingdom. And he did that with the city of Philadelphia because he would give them an open door and they would really mark um, a missionary force then and I think prophetically as well. So around 17 AD, that same earthquake that demolished Sardis and caused them to move off their mountain, their high place that we talked about last week, also devastated Philadelphia. And as the generosity of Tiberius and other Caesars would be kind of poured into the city, even though it would never fully recover economically, they were so thankful that um, they would put part of the Caesar's name onto their city, both, you know, kind of about 20 years after the first earthquake of A.D. 17, and then again with Vespasian Flavius in uh, 214 A.D., but eventually it would revert after those guys would come and go across the pages of history. It would revert back to Philadelphia. It would become the center of a pilgrimage for many because as it really, as a city, as it really I don't know, was so blown away by the generosity of the emperors that it would become a center for kind of the emperor cult that was in Rome, the worship of emperor. And it was a big, big deal all the way up through about 400 AD. It would kind of be the keeper of of these temples for specifically Roman emperor worship. And it would become known as Little Athens, if you will. So that's just some history that kind of marks a little bit of its character and its upbringing. And so as we begin to study the book of Philadelphia, the letter to Philadelphia this Sunday, let us consider a little bit as as it kind of became this city, and it was this city that was a gateway for the evangelism of the world, if you will, for Greek culture to, to uh, expand the kingdom that it rolled over into a city that would be expanding the kingdom of God. That it already had the natural tools and understanding of how to put their life to work for expanding the kingdom of earth. But then they would be able to now expand the kingdom of God by many of those same know-hows. 
Interesting indeed. So we will jump back on that this Sunday. So that was a little history. Dealing a little bit with it prophetically as it lays out in history, and we've talked about that, I'm going to take one segment probably after Laodicea, and I'm just going to talk all the way through the picture of the seven churches historically. But briefly, as we saw, Ephesus represented that kind of zero or ascension to 100 AD as the church was cooling off. And then from, I would say, Nero until 313 with Constantine and the Edict of Toleration shortly after that was was a time when the church was crushed and persecuted like Smyrna. And then we saw the the marriage of church and state from 313 to 600 AD. And then we saw the kind of just the corruption that came in from 600 AD on to the Reformation. We'll just say 1500 AD for right now. And then as we began to talk last week with this church in Sardis, a church that had a name, that it was alive but was actually dead and and it begins to touch into the Reformation. And oftentimes, so many Protestants or, or us kind of modern-day churches that, that sprung out of the Catholic Church then oftentimes looking at it as, we, you know, we are the, the most right ones and we got it all. But Jesus didn't have a lot to say good about that. And I think it really kind of speaks in prophetically to our time that, that we assume just because a great thing once happened, that something once was on the move. That we just, you know, God doesn't have any grandkids. And so we just kind of take the name, but we don't have the life in so many denominations today who aren't looking for Jesus to come. There are just some scary statistics of many mainline denominations where 50% and above of, of those speaking from the pulpit, you know, they have different titles depending on the denomination, don't even believe that the Bible is the word of God. And yet they center around it because they use its authority. Over just a massive amount don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead or that Mary was a virgin. And I could go on and on, and I'll I'll save that for when I kind of recap the seven churches. But so many have a name that they're alive, but now are dead. And as we come to Philadelphia in, in this kind of connection that they have as Philadelphia really kind of represents this time period of, I would say, really kind of late 1700s, and I'll give you a more specific date later. Really, I would argue on through today. Not everybody classifies it that way. Some people look at it about 1800 to 1900s. And it really speaks of this missionary explosion that took place around then. That after the Reformation and people got settled in, it really got kicked off by this guy named William Carey at the end of the 1700s, who was just this shoemaker, this cobbler that, you know, went from caring about the soul of a shoe to caring about the souls of men. And he went out to India. And he was, I believe John Corson said, and I need to check this out, but but it, it's probably correct that that he was the first missionary to leave his home, his home country or his own country to be sent out to another one in a thousand years. And from that exploded, I mean, just the gospel going forth to the, to the world. 
You know, you think of the greats of, of Hudson Taylor and, and the like, that, that China, India, Africa, all these places, the, the gospel just, it, yeah, it, it just exploded. I, even the United States saw revival from it. And the Lord indeed put together an open door. And so it's interesting as Philadelphia and Sardis tie together that, that Sardis, historically in, in our seven letters, was in authority of, or Philadelphia kind of came out of, tied to Sardis. And if Sardis indeed is the picture of the Protestants or the reformers that came out, that it's interesting that the church of the open door, the missionaries, were under authority to, tied to those same ones. So some interesting pictures, and and I I take the time to talk a little bit about that, to plant the seeds, discuss it, because not all scholars agree on it. But what I love about it, what I find provocative, is that if these seven churches were in any other order, the picture wouldn't work at all. It would instantly fail. But they indeed seem to follow the pattern of church history. So, may the Lord bless you guys. And again, if you have any questions or comments or some nuggets that I forgot or didn't get into, please let me know. We always want to continue to grow, not only in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, but also in the knowledge of Him. And so I look forward to seeing you guys Sunday at the park, 7 a.m. There's Stewart Park at the Bandshell, where we just happen to be in the Church of the Open Door, and now God has given us one to share the gospel out there. So it's going to be exciting. Be in prayer. God bless you guys, and we'll talk to you and see you then. Bye-bye.